Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. I am Michael and I'm here tonight with two very special guest co-hosts and we are going to do a review episode for the new revised edition of the Cypher System rulebook. So with me first to my virtual right is Megan from the Redacted Files podcast. Megan, say hello to everyone. Let them hear your voice. Uh, hey, this is Megan. Fantastic. And then to Again, virtually below this uh, is Jesus from the Fandible Podcast. So say hello to everyone. Let me hear your voice. Hi, I'm Jesus. Fantastic. I love that voice. Good, Thank good you. radio voice. I try. All right. So, <laughs> so, so, Megan, for anyone who may not be familiar with what you do, uh, tell us a bit about the, the Redacted Files and any other projects you want to talk about. Uh, so the Redacted Files podcast is a podcast I've been running with my now husband for five years. We sort of started it when we started dating. Um, and we play a little bit of everything on there. Uh, we play a lot of investigative horror games is usually what we lean towards, but we've done Star Wars and Cypher and Fate and Dresden and a little, like, all over the place. Mostly we just don't do D&D. Um, then spun off of that, uh, we copied Jesus and started <laughs> a... Uh, Numenera podcast called The Amber Clave, and Numenera is a cipher system game. We also tried our hand at streaming with a Tachyon Squadron show, which is a fate space dogfighting game, um, and that's all up on YouTube. And then we just recently readopted a Firefly podcast, which my husband and I were on at the start, and then we left, and now we're back in charge of it, and it's part of TRF. Oh, fantastic. I, I, again, just in general, I love Firefly the show. So anything <laughs> Firefly related, Perfect. obviously I'm, I'm all about. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, and I'll go to Jesus in a second, but just in general, you mentioned you obviously you've played Numenera. Um, would you consider yourself a cipher expert, a journeyman, a novice? Like what's your familiarity with that system? I would probably say I'm an expert. I've written a couple things for the uh, cipher creator system on DriveThruRPG, including a supplement to bring different fantasy um, ancestries like elves and dwarves into your game and make that something that's mechanically playable more than the rulebook does. And then I writ wrote a couple of adventures. Numenera is my favorite version of Cypher. I don't do as much with the Cypher core, but I have played Gods of the Fall and just a generic Cypher sort of a pulpy 30s game with it. I'm so extra special glad you're here because I know very little <laughs> about Cypher System. All right. So, Jesus, uh, same to you. Tell us a little bit about you, any of the projects you're working on, and then kind of your history with Cypher and what you think about it, or your familiarity with it. Sure. I'm Jesus from the Fanable Podcast Network. We've been going on for about a little over nine years now. Dear God. Uh, <laughs> we we play, uh, starting off, played a whole range of games, starting right off with uh, Warhammer 40k, deep in the beginning pastimes, and moving on to wide range, wide range of genres from fantasy, horror, sci-fi, and everything in between. Um, or recently, we've started two uh, ongoing campaigns that are on the podcast. One of them is uh, The Solo Shot, which specifically is a two-person game with two of our members, Angela and Billy, which is, takes place in the Star Wars universe. And more relevant to this conversation, we also have The Long Shot, which has been running, which I pre-copied from Megan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Long Shot campaign, which is, takes place in the world of Numenera, which has been running for about uh, three-ish years now. All right. 
So do you consider yourself a journeyman, master, expert, uh, novice? Uh, I would say between master and expert because I haven't, uh, unlike uh, Megan, I haven't written as much material for it. I just tend to run the game specifically. But yeah, so I, but I'm, familiar, I'm fairly familiar with the Cypher system, especially when it comes to Numenera. Okay. Although I've run, uh, actually, I did run a Cypher, uh, Cypher system game set in The Strange a while back. Although that was more of like a drug-fueled madness than anything else. <laughs> we were really drunk through most of that. But otherwise, it was great. <laughs> I think your um, mini campaign, a Numenera that was forever ago now, was mm-hmm. the first time I heard about Numenera. Yes. And what really got me hooked on uh, finding it out and trying it. So mm-hmm. it's really your fault that I'm here right now. You're welcome, Megan. You're welcome. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so as for myself, I have, I think I've played Numenera twice and I've ran it about five times. I've, I have a, a starter adventure that I use to try to introduce other people to the system. But again, I don't follow the rules very well because I never do because, you know, I got a brand I have to maintain. <laughs> Right, right, of course. So I would say I'm definitely a novice to the system. Like, I understand the, the very much the basics, but beyond that, I'm lost in the woods. Um, so we, again, you two will be carrying the load <laughs> on the show tonight. <laughs> uh, but we are here today to do a review episode of the new revised Cypher System rulebook. I'm showing it to the other two people, though I'm sure they have their own copies and no one's watching this live, so I don't know why I did that. (laughs) Uh, But this, at least initially, came out as part of uh, the the newest Invisible Sun Kickstarter, I believe. That's where you could pre-order it. I'm pretty sure it's available for retail at this point. So I'll start with you, Megan, just very briefly, since this is the revised... And I'm definitely putting you on the spot so we can edit this out if, I, if I'm doing this. But, but what would you say are the biggest differences between the original book and this one? Do you have an idea of like what they actually changed in, in broad terms? Um, I don't think they changed a lot of the rules. So uh, the Kickstarter that this came out with was their Your Best Game Ever, okay. uh, where they talked about it's like a, a supplement book that's written by a bunch of people in the industry about how to run your best game. And so they incorporated some ideas from that, like character arcs into the game, like more officially. So if you if you complete this character arc that you set out with your GM, you get XP as you go along. And then there's like a big XP reward at the end, which reminds me a bit more of like 7th C's way of handling um, XP. Because in 7C, you can get XP other ways, too. I, I've actually never played 7C, so I don't know. Okay. Well, that was first edition. I um, We tried. We never played second edition. We played it once, and we liked first edition better. <laughs> gotcha. But the, the biggest layout, I, or difference, I think, is the layout. Um, because previously, you'd go and you'd pick your character type, and there'd be a long list of skills for every level. And then you'd go pick your descriptor and your... Um, focus and every one of those had a long list of skills and some of those were repeated across levels so if you were a warrior or an adept there might be like one or two skills that were similar or abilities and now they've taken it and just given you a short list with no flavor text or description and the page number to go look it up on and so the abilities only listed once Um, and so you go and look at the the big, huge list after all the short lists that tell you what you can pick from. Okay. That's the biggest note differences I noticed, at least. Okay. Again, the fact that you could answer that at all, fantastic. <laughs> all right. So, so Jesus, our, our first big prompt on our outline here is, what is this book and who is it, who is it for? 
So how would you answer those questions? Who should buy this and what is this? Well, I, was, I would say what it is is just a, it's a book using the Cypher system to be used in a numerous number of different genres. You can do from anything from sci-fi, fantasy, even there's a section we can talk about a little later about romance, which is pretty interesting and all that stuff. And who is it for? People who want an interesting game system where you can, because at least the way I view the Cypher system, it's a game where you, you play heroes. Okay. Like every character, every t- character type, especially with the descriptors and with the folk guide, basically you have a wide range of possibilities to become a hero in any type of campaign you're in. Mm-hmm. It's designed to be heroic in nature. Like, so, I mean, there's plenty of other games where you can just be a regular guy. This isn't that type of game, which is great personally for me. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. So, again, coming at this from the person who knows by far the least about this, this is a... Like, there's already a book for Numenera. There's the book for, mm-hmm. um, there's, I think, was it Putting on the Cape or the Mask, the, their superhero genre. There's the, mm-hmm. the dinosaur genre. So this is a book that will help you take the generic cipher system and apply it to a genre of your choice, not necessarily the settings that have already been created. So you could play science fiction but not necessarily Numenera. So like if you, you could play Firefly or you could play Star Wars or you could play Blade yep. Runner. Uh, so it's kind of helping you take that core system and then applying it to the various genres. Um, so, I mean, I think it's, it's a core book. So it's for DMs and for players because it has all the information that either would need. Uh, but it's a lot more of just like a manual of how to set these games up. Like the, the rules section is actually very sparse in this book compared to the other sections, the rules get short, not short shrift, but they get a small section. They explain how they work. But I, again, just, I guess coming to this from other books, a lot of times it's sort of the other way around, I guess, or it feels differently th- than that. So I just thought that was kind of an interesting difference. When I was reading through this book, I kept thinking this, this is good, but it's not what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> so why is that? Cause I, I think the people wanting to games are brilliant. So they're smarter than I am. So they've done this for a reason. <laughs> I may not be smart enough to realize what it was just yet. I think this book is really for someone who wants to DIY their own campaign. Mm-hmm. So like I said, there's there's options for your characters in there and there's pre-written things, but there's a lot of rules as well for making your own new uh, character types and flavor types and descriptors and focuses. And there's like a guideline, like these abilities are good low level abilities for someone who wants to use elemental stuff. So you can really make it very personal to you and customize it. it's very modular and so later on in the book there's there's chapters covering all kinds of different genres like jesus said and then as well with the kickstarter they they're doing other supplemental books that have more of a setting type thing to them like stars are fire has come out which is their sci-fi one which i haven't read too much so far but it is it has a setting in it and a short bit about setting and then a lot of extra sci-fi space related rules okay but the the core book i think you still need it if you want stars are fire but the core book is for someone who just wants to build their own world and have the tools to do that and some guidance um and it's not for someone who really wants to sit down and have like a numenera world where it's really fleshed out and there's options and lots of ideas there on the table for you okay yeah, so I'm looking at the table of contents, and 
the book is just under 450 pages. It is a thick tome. And the rules part is 32 of those pages. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the for, so part one of this book is uh, has the heading characters. And it, it includes, it looks like, six chapters from creating your character, the type of character, flavors, descriptors, focuses, abilities, and equipment. So I'll start with you on this, Jesus. Uh, so for someone who doesn't know much about the system, this is going to walk me through how I create a character. So... Mm-hmm. How do you feel this does in, in succeeding at that? And then also, if you just want to include just in like high level terms, what a character in Numenor, or excuse me, in Cypher is uh, for those of us like myself who don't really know. To your first question, I think it does a pretty good job of describing what each, like what each character can do per level, what each, what it, defining what each of the character types is in generalist terms that you can easily adapt to any type of genre you're interested in including things like warrior ex- uh, warriors adept which could be magic user explorers which could be your thief in a fantasy campaign things of that sort and sorry what was your second question um so if you want to give just sort of like a high level of how characters work you know again mm-hmm. like D, you got six stats ah, okay. they go from three to 18 um how does a character in cypher actually engage with the rules okay so starting out every character has a type uh, in if I was going to say it in say Numenera terms, it would be the glaive, the the glaive, which is the warrior type, the jack, which is the jack of all trades, thief, explorer type, and the nano, which would be the magic user type. In uh, the Cypher System rulebook, this is a bit more defined with things like additional things like the speaker or the warrior, which is the glaive type in the Numenera, the explorer, and that's where your that's your very core, and these are your core abilities that make you the warrior type or the explorer type, etc. Then you have the scripters, which are basically additions that give you additional bonuses, but also gives you a bit of a description about what about your specific personality. Uh, you could, yeah, what type of person you are. So you could be a swift glaive that you you are a warrior type, but you have a but you tend to focus more on being fast instead of just being super strong. You could be a uh, you could be a I'm just making one descriptor. You could be a rude nano. And you gain abilities that, theme-wise, give you abilities that basically fit with the theme of you being rude. So you might have like a bonus to an, a bonus skill to basically uh, intimidate someone with your rudeness somehow. And but it helps inform your character. And you have a foci, which is, in, at least in my opinion, one of the most important parts of the system, where basically you can attach a sort of power set that make, defines your character. Your folk, you could be a uh, you could be a rude nano, a rude magic user, who and you could attach a folk god that uh, say howls at the moon. So you're a cool nano guy who has magic powers, but every full moon monster bad things happen. Or you could be a one folk that's like who uh, who uh, uses who uses sunlight. So then you can theme your your rude wizard with uh, sunlight like abilities or powers and they're oh by the way these folk guys are tiered like the regular power so as you level up the folk guy also increases as well mm-hmm. so overall it helps to sh- shape what sort of character you are ultimately okay so uh, again from the not the ignorant side of the sample it sounds a lot like almost like a mad libs sort of way of yeah. creating a character <laughs> yeah. but the ultimate improv yeah i got you <laughs> but, but the various words all mean something they're not just yes fluff like you said if you if you pick a descriptor of X, Y, or Z, there are Mm -hmm. mechanical rules that say, okay, because of that descriptor, these are the things that you get, and these are the things that maybe you get at different levels, and this sort of helps push your character into a, not into a, 
I don't know how I want to say this, into a direction. You still have some mm-hmm. freedom there. It's not like it's yes, locked. Yes. So, but like I said, if you're playing a Rube Nano, you're going to have multiple things that, that in that impart rudeness, like interruptions, you said intimidations, uh, yes. maybe even some some flaws like that you you know aren't great at picking up ca- exactly. uh, cur- common courtesies and social situations because <laughs> you don't pay yes. attention. Um, so it's a way to flavor your character, but there's a there's a marriage of mechanics and fluff that I think Cypher System does very, very well from my very ignorant point of view. Uh, so Megan, is there anything that you would include or add into on this overview of characters? Yes, I have two things. Uh, one of the things is something like Jesus was saying, the Rude Nano, uh, where there's mechanical benefits, um, but there's also, like you were saying, the narrative benefits, because in Cypher games, there's something called GM intrusions, which is when uh, you roll a one, or whenever the GM decides they can make something bad happen. When the GM decides to make something bad happen, they have to pay you XP. But something like a Rude Nano, you can really pull on that uh, and give you a way like oh you're in the situation you say the wrong thing to the wrong person and start a ball uh, a bar brawl or on a nat 20 you can pull on that too and like everyone's stunned by your rudeness and they don't see your friends sneaking around back so it's like a really good way to give the gm ideas on how to shape the scene the other thing cypher has that none of the other games have is flavors which i really love um because uh, with it at its core, you have a warrior, I'm going to remember them all, warrior, adept, I think it's a speaker in Cypher Core and Explorer. So, but if I want to play a, so if I want to play a sword mage, there's like not a way really to do that with existing rules, but there is a magic flavor. And so if you take the magic flavor, you can pull in magic abilities instead of using your warrior abilities. And then you get both of those things. So it's a lot of abilities that are pulled from the other types, but it's a way uh, for you to bring it in and sort of explore those other differences to make it a lot more flexible. Okay. Uh, now, again, I, I love D&D. I'm very open about that. Uh, but And I don't really want to get into a situation where we're saying one is better <laughs> than the other, but I do think there is some interesting comparison and contrasting to do uh, to help maybe someone else who doesn't know the system very well understand how it works. So one of the things I really like about Cypher, well, one is the GM intrusions. I want to, I, I'm going to start with my head. I think GM intrusions is just a very simple but brilliant piece of the, of the pie here because I know, again, from a DM, DM standpoint, from a D&D, um, very often you have that situation where you want your players to come upon, let's say, like a scene of an ambush, and you've already got, uh, you know, uh, caravan guards or uh, pilgrims or you know, whatever. They've been attacked. There's one person who's impaled with a spear. They're laying up against the wagon. And all you want that person to do is to whisper two lines and then die. <laughs> but, of course, someone's going to say, well, I'm going to cast cure wounds or whatever. And then you have to yeah. be like, okay, well, they're already dead. But then they didn't tell you what I wanted you to tell them. Mm-hmm. Or, or they heal them, and now you've got this hanger on that you have to deal <laughs> with when they weren't supposed to live through the encounter. And, and this is just a very simple way to say GM intrusion. This person is going to tell you these two sentences and then they're going to die. Now, again, the way the rules work, we're going to get a little bit more into that in a minute, but the, the players, there is a way for the player to say no, that doesn't happen. Uh, they have to pay mm-hmm. experience points back. So they could still say, no, I want this person to be alive, but you don't have that sort of cognitive dissonance that you get in some of the other games that aren't flavored this way when you want a specific scene to happen in a specific way as the DM or GM. And I just, I think, like, I think advantage, disadvantage is like one of the most brilliant 
mechanical inventions ever in D&D &D 5th edition. I think GM Intrusions is equally as brilliant for Cypher because it gives you so many mm -hmm. ways to do simple things but not break the rules or bend the rules or, or just, again, cause that cognitive dissonance. Or like if you have a, a person who's super, like they're rolling really well on perception and you want there to be a surprise, you're like, GM Intrusions. <laughs> <laughs> Your glasses break. Uh, they get fogged. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Yeah, or if you have a monk character who keeps punching everything before <laughs> I, I get to say anything. Ah, <laughs> oh, GM intrusion. Punchy McPunch face. But the other thing, and again, this is, this is way roundabout, and I, I don't know how much you care about 5th edition. Uh, I was big active in the playtesting when it first came out. And early on, there was a development process that it looked like they were going towards where they would have just the four core classes like you know wizard cleric fighter and rogue similar to the three core in, in cypher but then you would be able to pull in these other aspects so like a paladin would just be a warrior and a cleric you know like a, a combination mm -hmm. rather than its own class and one of the examples they talked about was having a rogue who was actually a cleric so you had a cleric who could sneak around and, and you know be just you know be sneaky but they were a man of a faith or a woman of faith or you could have a cleric who was flavored towards a thief. And I thought that was a very cool design element. I'm, I'm still to this day sad that they didn't continue on that journey. I think it was just too far away from what deep makes D&D D&D. &D. But mm -hmm. this is what I absolutely think they've done in Cypher System. They've done that where you can play the warrior, but flavor them towards the mage. Or you can play the the jack of all trades, the the scout explorer, but flavor them towards like a like a cleric, for example, um, you know, shepherd book from Firefly to use an example <laughs> of someone who is apparently a man of the cloth that has all these skills that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense uh, for the person of their background. So I really really like that. Um, again, that's more of the cipher system than this book specifically, but this book tells you how that works. So from that standpoint, I think it's a very good thing to include. Anything else on characters before we move on to the rules of the game? Uh. This is this is sort of related to the rules, but you did bring up um, fifth edition. You have your six stats in in Cipher. You only have three stats, um, and they operate very differently than they do from D and D. Yes. Um, so I'll, I will give you again. I, I know I talk a lot. That's just the way it works. So I'm going to give you my dumb version of how the rules work, and then you two can explain how I am incorrect. Mm -hmm. uh, so in Cipher, you again you have characters that have three stats: speed, might, and intellect. And not only are these stats that you are able to like kind of define how strong you are in each of those, they're also a resource that you can spend uh, so that if you like if you want to be successful at a thing, there's a way for you to spend points out of those pools. If those pools go to zero, bad things happen. If all of them go to zero, you're dead. And I think somewhere in the rules that it gives you like all the different versions, like how your character can be healthy and it dead and just says dead is dead, which I I like. Um <laughs> You're going to use it. Basically, the DM never rolls any dice. It's all a player rolling system. Uh, mm -hmm. The DM will set a difficulty. Or I guess I should say GM. Uh, the GM will set a difficulty for what you're trying to do. It's usually between 1 and 10, I believe. Mm -hmm. and, and this is one of my nitpicks, and we'll get into that. You then multiply that by 3 to you get a number between 3 and 30, and that's the number you're trying to beat to quite a D&D. It's your DC. So yeah. a, a skill check of 5 would be a 15. So a 15 or higher, you succeed. 14 or lower, you fail. Uh, there are various things within your character that let you uh, make it easier. So like if you're trained in a thing, and like I said, okay, it's, it, it takes a five, 
which is a 15, to climb this wall. But you're trained in climbing, so rather than me changing that number, it's just for you it's different. For you it's yeah. only a 4, which makes it a 12. So it's easier for you to climb. If you're really good at climbing, it can go even down lower. And then you can spend effort to even do more than that. You can reduce from your speed pool, which is basically your dex. And if you can get that down to zero, you don't even have to roll, which I do think is brilliant. Other people can help you. Magic items or ciphers, as they're generally called, can help you. Uh, just, you know, situational bonuses can affect. And also the other way. You can have, um, what's the term for it when you just really suck at something? Inability. Inability. Yep. It's like, Inability. if I'm so bad at climbing, this five wall <laughs> is a six wall for me because I'm just so bad at doing that particular thing. Mm-hmm. And then uh, defensive rolls. Basically, if you're in combat situation, uh, I'm trying to attack the monster. It's a level five monster, so I have to roll a 15 or higher. It attacks me on its turn. I have to defend against a 15 or a level five to try to get away. And depending on how it's attacking, again, it could be attacking my speed. It could attack my intellect. It could attack my might. Um, and then I have defense rolls. I could be trained in defense. I could be wearing armor. Uh, I, I believe that um, damage is static for the most part. Like mm-hmm. you have smaller weapons do like two or four, larger do like six or eight. Um, I'm sure I'm leaving a lot out. So I'll go to Megan first. How badly did I screw up those rules? <laughs> no, you did pretty good. Um, uh, the, I, hmm, where do I want to start? <laughs> I really, How did I you really fail? Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I really like effort as a mechanic because... There's a lot of times when I'm playing like Delta Green and I'm like so close to succeeding. And I was like, if I could have only spent effort here, I would not be being eaten by a Shoggoth right now. <laughs> but um, so I like I like rules like that that let you sort of bend the world a little bit to like how how you want things to play out. I'm trying to think of anything you got wrong on rules though. You yeah, you did pretty well. Uh, the, you do, the other option, uh, besides spending effort is you can spend your XP to reroll. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm going to let Jesus go. Uh, there was also, uh, edge, mm-hmm. which a ca- each character would have. Like if the, you have intellect, if you have might, or you have speed and you have something called edges, you attach it and minuses from whatever you would spend from your, your pool in order to basically reduce how much you, how, reduce how much it would cost to do a certain particular action. Uh, and yeah, besides that, I can't think of anything else you missed. Uh, uh, not missed, maybe just didn't expound on very eloquently. Y- yeah, sure, we're going to go with that. No. <laughs> no. So so you, you did bring up XP. So the way the system, again, my ignorant version works, is uh, you gain XP as the game goes on. If, if I want to do an intrusion, I offer you experience points. Assuming you didn't roll a, a number that lets me. Uh, you get one, you give one to another player with some brief description as to why hopefully this is building role-playing bonds and background, that kind of thing. Um, and I believe you can spend XP, like you said, to re-roll. But if you don't spend the XP, then you can use it to to build towards advancement. Like you have certain, I don't know, there's like certain areas you can, once you've spent so much in each area, then you go up a level. Is that how that works? Because I'm actually not sure. So how do you level up in Cypher System? There's four things you have to do before you level up, and each of them costs four XP. You have to buy a new level of effort. So every time you level up, you get a, you can spend more effort on your roll. So you can uh, be even better at climbing a wall because you can spend uh, three levels of effort in, at tier three instead of one, like you can at tier one. Uh, you 
buy another point of edge that you can put in any of your abilities. Um, so you could be like, I'm really smart now, so I have another point of intellect edge. You get six points. No, wait. You get four points to distribute between your three stat pools. So you can try to even things up up pretty evenly or like be like me and just dump it all into your favorite stat. <laughs> Uh, my characters always have really low might, which is not good because that's basically <laughs> your main health. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, or And then uh, you pick up a new skill. So that's something like being trained in running or trained in perception. Okay. Uh, the skills are really flexible in Cypher. Like anything you want can be a skill, um, which can be really liberating and also really constricting when you're sitting there being like, what do I want to be good at, though? There's not a skill list. <laughs> well, and also if you don't have a DM who plays along, you could, like, I'm skilled in a thing that never affects the game in any any way. But that's that's mm -hmm. another issue altogether. <laughs> you can um, spend XP officially in the rules to, like, one or two XP to just get a really specific uh, uh, ability. So, like, Acer has spent XP to be really good at piloting the summer gene that they're traveling on in the Amberclave. Okay. Um, so it's like a cheaper way, but it's more limited. Okay. Uh, so I guess I was kind of getting confused with 13th Age and how they have what are called incremental advances, which are mm -hmm. similar to this, but there's no XP. It's just at the end of each session, you get one of four incremental advances. You, you pick one. One could be more hit points. One could be more spells, whatever. And then after every fourth incremental advance, you fill out all four boxes, you level up. So it's kind of the same way here, except that you get experience points you spend. So it's not guaranteed you'll have enough at the end of each session. Or you may have someone who just has to keep spending them because of bad rolls. And so it's not exactly the same, but it's very similar. You got four things you need to spend four experience points in. Once all four of them have been filled up, then you go up to the next tier. And I believe there's only six tiers in Cypher, correct? Yes. 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 You can keep playing past then and then just keep taking uh, skills from your skill list. Um, and the other way is there there are rules for your difficulty to go past 10. It can go up to 15. Usually that happens in the superhero games or in um, God's yeah. Fall. Nope, that's the... I think it's Gods of the Gods Fall. Gods of the... Yep, yeah, that is... There yeah. we go. It's, it's very yeah, similar. they were really similar. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, but so you're, you're a God in that game. And so you get power shifts that let you be extra good at a certain thing, um, for free. So there's ways to go past tier 10. I haven't experienced, or past tier six and over difficulty 10, but I haven't done them very often. Okay. So, so my one major nitpick with the system is the whole times everything by three. <laughs> I, again, Monty Cook is brilliant. Shauna's brilliant, Bruce is brilliant, Darcy's brilliant. They're all smarter than I am. But it feels to me like they just wanted there to be a D20 in the game, but it didn't really fit their design elements where it's like everything's on a scale of 1 to 10. But I also don't think rolling a D10, one single D10 is all that fun either. So they're like, okay, well, let's just go 1 to 10 times everything by 3, and we can use a D20. And it works. I just, it it feels weird. Every, it, you know, the math's not hard, but it just feels like it's, I don't know. It feels like it was a decision to use a D20 when the D20 doesn't make sense for this game. So am I wrong there? It's the hardest thing I have getting people to wrap their minds about when I mm -hmm. run one shots. Y yeah. Well, when and we it was a lot of people, 
don't remember don't have their times three tables down uh, <laughs> on spot anymore and so it takes them a minute and i'm like three times three is nine um but if you have something like a ladder at the table with it explaining it it makes sense invisible sun uses a d10 which is their weird game now that's the weird and i game. didn't yeah, that's the weird one <laughs> I didn't like rolling a 10 in that one as much. I think a d20 is more fun, um, but it is it is really weird to wrap your mind around. I, I kind of agree. When we first started the Numeric campaign, especially in the first couple of episodes, we kept confusing, like, is it what what, what level or three? What? I'd, I failed math when I was 10. I don't understand what's going on. But over time, um, I thought about this for a little while afterwards uh, when we finally got used to... Uh, timing everything by three and although the mechanically it would probably make more sense just to have a 1d10 it don't, wouldn't feel like like megan said as epic if like it's one thing to feel like oh you moved it from a 10 to a to a 7 it's like okay you moved it from a 30 to an 18 you have a chance against a god it's at least that's the way i sort of mm. felt it whenever i put it all together but like i said it takes it takes times to get used to it and it does it does add a little bit of granularity because mm-hmm. um, in combat, if you roll a 17 or an 18, you get to add extra damage. Mm-hmm. And if you roll a 19 or 20, you can choose to add even more damage or True. get something cool to happen. And there's some abilities um, that can extend that range. And the same, there's some abilities, if you use them, they can exchange, extend the the uh critical failure range um so you can do this really cool thing but if you roll a three that's you get a gm intrusion Mm -hmm. um so it adds a little bit of granularity but i think it is the either that or the concept of pools are the hardest thing for me to get across to people So, so I guess I ask you this question then, you know, again, not trying to compare and contrast which is better than the other, but do you think the rules, the way the mechanics of this cipher system work are good? Honestly, yes. It takes a little while to get used to, get used to it in your mind, but I do enjoy it immensely. It allows me to play a wide variety, or at least for just Numenera and the Strange currently, but I want to play more, but just uh, play these games in the way I find fun and... Oh, and I think we're going to get into it a bit more with the game when we go into the game master section. But this game allows for a lot of like, like I said, like do yourself game mastering. Like it takes a while to get a feel for the system, for like what monsters to use against your enemies, what challenges to put in front. But once you get a sense of it, it gets so easy to just like think of something on the fly. And I love just making stuff up to fight to fight my to use against my my players. Like it's like unlike. Like, because I've also played a ton of D&D, and with D&D, I always feel like I have to prepare. Like, I have to prepare, okay, so they are going to be CR blank, I have to prepare. What type of monsters may they fight? With Cypher System, I always, well, not always, don't tell my players this, I, a lot of times, I uh, go with a blank slate and just find, like, okay, uh, they need, to, they might have to fight something, I pop up a book and just pick a random page and make it work. And I can easily do that with this system. Yeah, my, my DM style is very improvisational by nature, and this is the thing where I should love Numenera and Cypher system because of the way that it allows you to be so improv-focused on combat, which usually, even if you're an improv DM, it's usually the narrative and the role playing that you're improv, but when it comes to combat, you still kind of have to, like, you know, you got to have your monsters, you got to have your stats. But the way that it works with with Cypher System is that I can choose that you're fighting a level four 
creature. And it doesn't matter what that creature is. It could be a bear. It could be a scorpion. It could be a half scorpion, half bear. It could be a robot. It could be a living spell. It could be a pile of goo. But whenever you attack it, you're rolling against a level four. And it doesn't matter why it's that. Is it because it's a goo and it's hard to hit? Is it because it's a scorpion and it's got chitinous armor? I can make up whatever I want. All I need to know is what level it is. And then you can have differences where it attacks as a level four, but it defends as a seven. Again, it's got it's got a, a goo factor, so it's hard to hit, or it's got an armor factor. Uh, you can create a, a, an effect, like it shoots an ice beam at you. The ice beam will freeze you. The ice beam is a level six attack. You, you know, and you can just make up literally whatever you want, and all you got to remember is like three numbers, and then know how to multiply those by three. Having said that, I just don't like the mechanics of the game. There's just something about the three times the three, and then the pools. I don't know. It's like, it's not bad. I'm sure it, it makes perfect sense. It's probably so well-tuned, it's just not even funny. <laughs> but when I play it, I don't enjoy interacting with this system as much mm-hmm. as I feel like I should. And maybe that's just because I don't have enough experience. I don't feel comfortable yet. That's more than fair. So, Megan, same to you. How do you feel about the mechanics of the system? Good? Bad? I really like it as a GM because it's really... Like uh, you and Jesus were saying, it's really freeing as a GM. As a player, I also tend to really enjoy it, though I always feel like my abilities are underpowered. <laughs> I noticed it a lot when I was writing one of my supplements for the drive through thing, where I was like coming up with these ideas. I was like, oh, no, this is way overpowered than anything in the <laughs> core book. <laughs> But I think that's partly because, like we were talking earlier, uh, people will level up at different rates depending on how they're spending their XP and how they're earning it. And so by not having drastic differences in power levels between the different tiers, it means your party stays more equal and you're still already better than everyone else. But um, that was something I've noticed that I wanted a bit more of. Like I wanted to do extra cool things, but usually those extra cool things come from your ciphers. I personally feel like ciphers work the very best in Numenera. They worked okay in The Strange. I didn't really like them as much in Predation, where in Predation, which is the dinosaur one, you get them by like stepping into a time warp thing and it gets imprinted in your DNA and then you use it and it leaves your DNA. And I didn't, it didn't quite work as well for me. Um, and they introduced in this. Uh, more subtle ciphers where it's more like you you feel really good about something or for some reason you're really good at healing today or something like that it's not as extreme as you're really good at healing today but um where that works more in a modern setting but ciphers are a pretty core part and it makes it harder to fit with a a world where there isn't magical technology floating around that only can be used once so, so that's a, a good, I mean, I know that comes later, but I think it makes sense to, to talk about it here. So, Jesus, what are ciphers from the Numenera standpoint? Because in my mind, I think Numenera came first. So that's, Numenera was the first. Yeah, sorry, so, so, so ciphers, what are they in Numenera? And then how are they different or how are they portrayed differently in this book? Okay, well, in the world of Numenera, which is, takes place in a far future, literally a billion years in the future, where technology is essentially magic, uh, ciphers are essentially one-shot items cobbled together from random bits of technology left over from previous civilizations that can, you can only use once and create a random, like, technological or magical-ish effect. And because of the nature of the ciphers, uh, they can do anything. They can do anything from just be a ray gun to, like, stop time temporarily for a minute to, like 
turn a person into a chicken. It can go anywhere. And it makes sense in the universe of Numenera because, like I said, a billion years of technology development from different civilizations, from different dimensions, from different universes, anything could technically happen. But when you try to push those, and moving to other games, when you try to push it to, say, another setting, it might be a little harder to bring these fantastical elements to other genres. Like, it worked, like, it kind of worked in The Strange because in The Strange, you basically take place in a multiverse where basically fantasy can become reality. So that would, that technically works. But like uh, Megan said, me and my group had problems with predation where uh, it, it felt like they were trying to force into ciphers into that system where it could have worked with, it could have definitely worked without it. Uh, and subtle ciphers, I do like the idea of subtle ciphers, but even with subtle ciphers, uh, with subtle ciphers, it, it comes to a point, at least in my opinion, I'm just going through it, like where it says you're still like uh, pushing back a lot of what a cipher could be because you're trying to fit into a modern setting. So it's like instead of cipher that could like change the world, it's more like a cipher that uh, it's a band aid, but it now heals you for five damage or something like that. I, and uh, maybe because I just played so much Numenera and the Strange, it just doesn't feel as <laughs> epic to me. Like, I, we kind of jo- joke with some of my friends that maybe the Cypher system should have been called instead the Foci system, which is what I think is the best part of the Cypher system, personally. Yeah, I think uh, some like that D20 uh, being shoehorned in there, I think when they decided to call the system Cypher system, they've kind of tipped their hand that they have to include Cyphers in every version. But I think Cyphers really were built Again, I I don't know, but it feels to me like they they made the game Numenera, and then they built this mechanic system within it, and then they realized like, hey, well, this is kind of a generic system if we take all the trappings off, and in my mind, that's the way that it was developed, and they called it Cipher System, so they feel like they have to put ciphers everywhere when they just Mm -hmm. don't or shouldn't, Um, you know. So I kind of feel like that's that's the mindset, but I do really like ciphers. Um, as someone who's very notorious and well-known, when I run a D&D game, I very rarely give out magic at all. I'm very, very stingy. Uh, you know, you get a magic dagger in one of my D&D games, that is precious to you. because You are a monster. I am a monster. <laughs> but I, Because I don't like D&D games where, monster, where magic items become so prevalent that they overshadow your abilities. That's, again, it's just a Michael mm-hmm. thing. But Cypher System allows you to have these smaller... I don't say minor effects, the stopping time is kind of, you know, kind of a big deal, but they're, they're one-time use. So you're not going to hoard them. You're just going to find a way to use them in a very interesting way. And then you're going to get more later. And I do like that aspect. I mean, it's like basically in D&D giving everybody wands and one shot, like wands with one uh, charge left or a potion or that kind of thing. Uh, so I think it's a cool thing in Numenera. Never played Strange, never played Predation, never played the others. But in Numenera, one of the things that I do enjoy is uh, ciphers. And when I do run it, I always just do random ciphers. I have the book, we, we yeah. roll at the table, and that's one of the most fun parts for me is like, oh, you just got a hand grenade that stops time for two hours. <laughs> Let's see how that can affect the game. Where the next yeah. person, you get the Band-Aid that heals five hit points. Let's see how that affects the game. I think it's kind of interesting. Uh, and then just really quickly, I'll finish up uh, another small nitpick is the way experience points work in the at the table where, again, I do a gene intrusion. You accept it. I give you two experience points. You keep one. You have to give one. I, I get in a perfect world that would work brilliantly. But I think in a lot of games, like maybe con games where people don't really know each other yet, 
I can see that being sort of like, well, you're my friend I came to the table with, so we're always going to give each other our experience points. Or maybe there's one person who's kind of shy and awkward, so they kind of get like the pity XP because they're not really contributing as well as everyone else, but I feel bad. <laughs> so I don't, I, I don't know. I don't like that awkwardness I have actually felt at a table. So what I have always done is I just give everybody one. If I do an extrusion, mm-hmm. everybody gets one. I don't like the pick a friend. It feels like in Survivor where they do that, where like you win a challenge, you get to pick one person to go with you because it just pisses everyone else off and that causes drama. <laughs> I don't know. So do either of you have a strong opinion? You've played it more, so is that something that actually comes up enough to worry about, or is that just me being stupid? Uh, not me personally, but then again, I personally have not done any many con games. Most of the games are with my particular group. So it, at least for us, maybe because we've been with each other for so long, whenever we, uh, I, whenever I give XP for an intrusion, I give it to someone, and they immediately know who to give it to next because it's someone who made a really funny joke or someone who like really helped them out in scene for this particular habit. So it kind of just works. Like I said, I don't have a lot of experience with con games, so I can feel. I, but I can see how it would be awkward if random people was like, "Uh, you were there and just hand it to the guy or something mm-hmm. like that." I can understand. I can understand that. But yeah, most of the time, I've actually, I think all but yeah. once I've ran it has been at con games with mm-hmm. you know random people. So what about you, Megan? Yeah. Have you ever experienced that a lot at the table, or is it pretty? Bis- nope, not an issue at your tables. Uh, so I I run a lot of cipher at cons, um, and in my experience, people have been really good about sharing it, especially if there's a physical representation of XP on the table. So usually, what I see happens is people give it to the characters who are tanks or someone who hmm. doesn't have any XP left um, when they can see that in front of them, because they're like, "Oh, the tank's going to need to reroll more than me um, or someone else." Um, I haven't. I understand, like, the awkwardness of handing out XP, um, and so usually if someone's... I handle that more on the GM side, where if someone is being ignored or not getting XP, I offer them a GM intrusion so they're getting it that way, or um, uh, make sure to focus on something that their character's good at, which is helpful when I build the pregens, because I know what they're good <laughs> at. Uh, for long-term campaigns... Um, I actually kind of prefer con games because people spend their XP and they use their ciphers a lot mm-hmm. quicker than my players at the table <laughs> do for the podcast. Because uh, they they tended to hoard it when I was running it before um, and just spend it all on leveling up. So for the first season of the Amberclave, maybe, yeah, it was just the first season, I just controlled when they leveled up every six or eight episodes I told them they leveled, took one step to the next tier. And then I just handed out XP and they could use it as they wanted. And I tried to put more incentives um, to spend it on buying things. And that didn't work because they just... I think at one point Landon had like 45 XP. (laughs) And I was just like... Wow. I was like, okay, we're going to cap how many XP you have. We're going to cap how many rerolls you can do. But it just didn't work out um, because there wasn't that leveling out of uh, need for it. So, yeah, it's it's a trickier XP system, um, mm-hmm. and I haven't quite found the balance that I want. But uh, for the current season of Amberclave, they, they get a level up as they want. We're going back to standard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for my long-term campaign, I decided uh, right off the bat that I wanted everyone to l- progress at the same exact time. And the only reason I did that is because uh, one, I wanted uh, each time they go up to tier as a group to be special. So it only... 
So they only leveled up to that tier when like there were when I knew there was going to be a special event in the story for them. Um, there was they still had advances. Like every one or two episodes, there was an advance. Uh, probably probably every two episodes there was an advance that they got. And because I knew every two episodes were going to be advanced, I knew when the tier was coming. Mm-hmm. So I knew when to have a pitiable moment for the characters. Like the latest episode, uh, they reached tier four right before they fought against the evil uh, brother of one of the characters. And thus, like, they had a... Because they were leveled at the same time, they had an epic moment right before they got ready for the battle. We each, they each had a training scene where they prepared... They showed off their new abilities to each other and stuff like that. And that's, that's the way I prefer it. As for uh, XP pooling... I have a particular character, I'm not going to put a name, who has a tendency to do it because he has, one could say, bad luck with roles and wants to make sure that bad luck doesn't become badder luck. And this, here's the thing, despite that, he doesn't hoard it because of his bad luck and he keeps just, he just keeps wasting the, the hoard of XP that he's trying to save up. So it sort of balances out for him. But And everyone else uh, does tend to... Uh, use it for rerolls, but recently because of the introduction of player intrusions within the new Cypher rulebook that we just started learning about, they're trying to add more, uh, we did it kind of before, but we're trying to do more with player intrusions. Okay. Where people, people try to add in, use their XP to like add things to the scene itself. Okay. Uh, so, so what I'm hearing overall is the XP system isn't really impacting your fun, those of you who play it a lot, and I'm probably mm-hmm. just being a nervous Nelly. If I just did it the way it was in the book, <laughs> it would probably be okay most of the time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you mentioned player intrusion. So do we want to talk about that, again, just because it makes sense here, just to explain what the difference is and how those work? Uh, yeah, play, like gym, gym intrusions, as you know, is basically the, the gym can give you XP in order for something terrible to happen to the player or to the scenery that would be great for the overall story. Well, player intrusions where the player can give that XP back to the GM to, in order to affect the scene in some particular way. And it's not usually big like, I defeat the bad guy. But it could be something like, uh, I, like if, uh, if, there, say, if there was a horror setting, like, oh, there's an axe here, and I, I'm able to grab it. Or basically, like, uh, maybe the bad guy trips and falls because of something I did, or something, something along those lines. So basically, it's sort of like, um, uh, for some reason, my brain isn't working like... Uh, my brain is working. Megan, do you have anything to say? Because apparently I'm, I can't think right now. <laughs> player intrusions haven't come up as much in my game because usually I'll let my players come up with something they want to be in the scene. So, like, in, in Fate, you can spend plot points. There we go. To, Thank like, you. have stuff show up. Or Fate points. Sorry. Plot points is Firefly. <laughs> but Fate, <laughs> you can spend uh, Fate points to, like, make stuff appear. And usually... Like, I was already letting them do that sort of stuff. So they have, player intrusions haven't come up as much. But I do like the idea. I think my players just don't like spending XP. <laughs> so it's the sort of situation where, um, you know, do I have that in my backpack? I don't know. Do you have that in your backpack? In some cases, it mm-hmm. might be a role, like a resource check. And you could say, here's an XP. Yes, I did remember to bring my extra battery for my whatever. Or... You know, we need to go talk to someone at the morgue. Here's a player intrusion. My ex-girlfriend works at the morgue, or I have a, a ex-roommate. Yeah. We're friends. Uh, so it's just a way to keep the scene going, add a little narrative to control from the player side. But but again, they have to pay the the GM an XP to do this. And I know in GM intrusions, the player, the GM, excuse me, the player can refuse. Can the GM refuse a player intrusion? I believe they can, and I don't think there's any penalty if they do. So it's just like a, mm, no. <laughs> yeah, Moving on. Such as, 
Because yeah. otherwise, yeah. you'd have that player who's like, <laughs> "I think there should be rainbows <laughs> out of the sky right now," and you'd be like, "No," and like, "Okay, give me my XP." I'll, I'll, I want a puppy. <laughs> Can I have a puppy? All right. Yeah. All right. So, part three of the book, uh, and this is the second largest section of the book. It's based on the table mm-hmm. of contents. It's about fifty some pages, and this is the genres. So there's eight chapters. You got fantasy, modern, romance, post-apocalyptic, fairy tale, historical, some others. Uh, so again, from the, the ignorant Michael version, this is where they take the rules they've presented so far and say, if you're playing in a romance setting, this is like what we encourage you to do. And this is how you can flavor the things we've already shown you that, you know, this particular focus you could flavor it this way. If you're playing in fantasy, you could take this particular descriptor and flavor it this way. So it's essentially, if you're doing your homebrew uh, cipher system game and your game is a horror game, it gives you some genre-specific things to do with the system as, as already presented to help sort of facilitate the feeling, the tone of horror, as well as the mechanics to make more sense. Would you say that's correct, Megan? Anything you'd add to that? Uh, no, yeah, there's... Uh rule specific or setting specific rules i think there's a couple of foci um for for fantasy they have like here's how you add uh, i don't like calling it race but uh they use race here so here's how you add race as a uh flavor or as a descriptor so you can have your human or your dwarven warrior who smashes things i can't think of a good focus to go with the dwarven <laughs> warrior right now who, who rages there we go who rages <laughs> um and and so you can bring that in the there's special rules for sanity in like the horror section so if you want to have sanity as a mechanic i don't particularly like their sanity mechanic because it's really complicated and weird <laughs> um but uh there they have the rules there if you want to use them okay so again this is a section where I really liked what I read, but but seeing how it was just like eight or nine examples, I did not read this very in depth. I kind of skimmed through. Uh, so even though it's a huge portion of the book, I didn't read it, you know, very much in depth as I did some of the other parts of the book. But it seemed like a very cool thing to include in a generic role playing system. Because like to Jesus's point early on, if this is a you know I want to play my own game, I'm going to do it Star Warsian. There's a science fiction chapter, and it's going to help, you know, may not use Force and Jedi and Wookiees, but it's going to give me some some tropes and some specific rules to make it feel like we're playing in a sci-fi setting versus a, quote-unquote, generic cipher system. Uh, so, hey, so, so is there anything that you would want to talk about the genre section? Is there a particular genre that you like? Or, again, like Mega was pointing out that the insanity rules aren't really to her flavor. Is there anything specific in any of the genres that you want to call out? Because you did mention romance earlier. Is there something about the romance one you want to call out? No, just it seems like, uh, because I've I've read a few different source books and it was like the first time I've actually seen a book that deals with like as an entire section about romance using the system for like romance or anything like that. But I, I have nothing to say about it. I just seemed like, he's like, oh, that's interesting. Okay. I've never seen it in a book and I want to go into more depth. I probably won't do it with my group. That'd be weird. But uh, <laughs> like, but I could definitely see it as something people would want to try to explore. And like, I, I can't really give it a, review i like it's it reads very well i like i would do want to would like to try it at some point in the far future or in the close future but one thing i did focus on though was on a sci-fi sec- sci-fi i can say words section <laughs> 
because I was reading through the Stars Are Fire book, the source book by Bruce Cordell, which I'm thinking of running at some point. And so I was going through the sci-fi genre section in focus, and it does give a lot of good advice of how to implement a cipher system into into a sci-fi-ish setting, which is, I guess, technically very close to a Numenera setting. But yeah, so I think each genre focus really gives really good advice. That's all I really have to say. The one that I read the closest was superheroes. Um, I love D&D, love fantasy, but superheroes is kind of like my second favorite genre of choice. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I thought was pretty interesting is the way they talk about how you can flavor superhero powers using the descriptors and foci. Um, and I'm probably mixing up the terminology a little bit, but the example they used is, you know, if you're a, a warrior who has a halo of fire, so I don't remember if Halo Fire is a descriptor or a foci. It's one of the two, I think. It's a focus. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's a focus. Basically, that's the human torch. You know, it, it doesn't necessarily have a mechanical effect, though it can be. But the fact that your your character's engulfed in flames all the time, that's what your character looks like because they have a halo of fire. You could be Iceman. It gave the example of, a, of someone who, you know, uses ice powers. You're basically Iceman. If you have someone, there's a, it's, I don't think it's, maybe it is called teleporting. Basically, you're Nightcrawler. And it didn't necessarily put them in those exact terms, but it's very clear if you read it, that's what they were doing. Like, here's a very superhero you're probably familiar with. We've created them using our system, but it's clear that we're flavoring towards this particular thing. And if all the genres represented as well as I think superheroes were, then I think they're very well done. But to be clear, I did not read every single one of those 56 pages. (laughs) So anything else you would say, Megan, over the whole genre? Because it's a big part of the book. I don't want to like gloss over it too much, but I kind of feel like we are because I don't know that <laughs> I don't know that we can really we don't have enough time to go into each genre in depth. Mm-hmm. Uh, so is there anything else about the genres as a whole you'd want to say before we move on? You don't have to feel limited to being like, OK, I'm in this, the sci-fi section. I only can do sci-fi things like there's advice on making on blending them together so you can do your sci-fi post-apocalyptic game or you can have romance in your fantasy game or in your superhero game so you can interchange things and that's one of the things i really like about cypher is the modularity um Mm -hmm. so the strange they're no longer really supporting because they figure all the future cypher releases support the strange because strange is jumping between dimensions so like the the stars are fire universe can be a new dimension you're jumping to but so they're making sure that you can pull something from Cypher or from Strange or from Numenera and use it in the other games as much as you want. And I really like that because um, they have a lot of great ideas that might not show up in one book, but um, that that are really interesting in another uh, game system of theirs. Okay. Uh, so again, I, I would say from a from a fluff standpoint and from a narrative standpoint, the, the genres that I looked at, particularly superheroes, I thought did a very good job. Um, I can't speak to mechanically if each one, the mechanics really fit that flavor as well. Would either of you speak on, I know you can, you mentioned the insanity rules, but is there anything else? Like if I use, if I go to historical, are there mechanical aspects that are included in that genre that's going to make a historical campaign feel fundamentally different? than a regular sci-fi cipher game and and should it if it does or not i think it's mostly uh like they provide guides on gear or specific artifacts that you would have show up there that aren't going to show up other places Mm -hmm. the i just lost my train of thought (laughs) yeah what megan was saying basically 
as far as I can tell, it just gives general advice like you did with superheroes. Like you're, you can essentially create the human torch with Halo of Fire. Uh, it doesn't. Yeah. Okay, I lost my. Train <laughs> well, it, it's a very big question, and I again, I kind of sprung it on you, so we can we can edit all around this if we want. <laughs> I guess what I'm trying to get to the point is: um, is there anything besides just fluff included in these genre sections? Are there actual significant? mechanical differences between a romance game and a modern game for example or is it just you know these are the type of weapons that a modern game would have these are the sensibilities that a romance game would have or is it like insanity here's a rule that's in romance that's not in regular cipher i think the big one is probably the madness mechanics Mm -hmm. for horror Trying to look and see if anyone else really has. Yeah, yeah. As far as I can tell, like it's basically most of them is just modding the cipher system for a particular setting. Alexa, but madness is a big special rule for horror specifically. Yeah. And it's again, I'm not like saying it should and it doesn't. That's bad. I just was asking if it does because again, I didn't yeah. read. Yeah. Oh, and also like the superhero game which you mentioned, really impossible task, reaching up to fifteen. Okay, which yeah. you mentioned already. Yeah. All right. All right, so the actual largest section of the book is the part four mm-hmm. game mastering. It's uh, about 89 pages, roughly, looking at the table of contents. Mm-hmm. So the the biggest meat to this book, and again, this is a hefty tome, um, <laughs> is about game mastering. And it's obviously about game mastering for Cypher, but there's also a lot of just general good game mastering advice sprinkled in, which again makes sense because this was part of the best game ever Kickstarter. Not the Invisible Sun Kickstarter, like I said earlier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> They've run a lot of Kickstarter, so it's easy to make some They do, and, and despite <laughs> yes. the fact that I don't really play any of their games, I continually back their Kickstarters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which again, will go to the part later where we grade them because they're just, they're hard to resist, even though it's not my game. <laughs> uh, so I'll start with you first this time, uh, Jesus. Uh, for Game Mastering, it's broken into four chapters. we got Creatures, NPCs, Ciphers, and then Running the Cipher System. So Creatures, is this just a bestiary, like a various things you can use? Is there more to it than that? No, it gives a few a brief, like two or three pages about uh, how to use uh, these particular creatures. Like what does level mean? What does mod- perhaps modifying it? But the main focus is a sort of bestiary of different creatures you can include in various different genres and games. But it gives a, a, like I said, a fairly good idea of what each part of a creature's stats does: description, motive, damage inflicted, etc. But it's, it's mainly, as far as I can tell, mainly just a beast here. A really good beast here. I'm gonna, I might use this <laughs> on one of the <laughs> oh, the things I will do. My favorite part of prepping for any of my Numenera games is just sitting down with the like four Numenera bestiary oh, and then yes. just flipping through it and being like, yes, <laughs> I want this and this and this. <laughs> I will shove you into this game somehow. <laughs> well, that's where my players, I keep, they're like level two. I'm like, here's a level nine creature. I'm sure this will be fine. <laughs> It'll be fine. They'll run away. No, right? no, no. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there's a, some varied creatures. Uh, again, the art, and we'll uh, jump in ahead. The art in these books are amazing. Uh, but their creature design is always very odd and strange. I mean, it's not, mm-hmm. again, I love D&D, but this isn't, these aren't owl bears. These are some weird looking <laughs> sons of guns uh, in yep. these books. And they all have these really interesting, uh, again, powers. And I think motivations is a cool thing to include uh, because you're dealing with such weird creatures. It's not just they're hungry. Uh, you know, their motivations can be a little bit more complex than that. 
Uh, the next thing is a big section on NPCs. Megan, you want to talk about what this involves? Uh, it's mostly an extended uh, bestiary where they give you like examples and stats for things like a a guard or a detective or a secret agent, um, just like people that you might run into. They give some advice on uh, reskinning um, them to fit in your games, but they're they're it's basically an extended bestiary. Okay. I don't usually touch the NPC section that much. I just like uh, it's a guard. He's level three um, because looking it up seems like too much work. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, this, again, going back to my favorite D anD D in the Beast era, they have things for a guard and you know a mage right or adept or whatever you know uh, cleric uh, acolytes that kind of thing. So if you are interacting with a commoner NPC type thing or an aristocrat or noble, it's sometimes good to have those numbers there because in my head I'm probably, like Megan, if I'm making up an NPC I'm probably creating that part too. You know, is this a noble who's really intelligent or are they dumb? Are they really suave? Are they uh, you know rude or that kind of thing? But if I just get a left field questions where the players go in a direction I wasn't expecting. They want to go into a tavern and they want to talk to a bunch of people and I have not made up any NPCs. You can <laughs> flip there and go, okay, well, most commoners are level two. I'm, I'm going to guess I'm not actually looking at the book. Uh, and, it, and it's going to help you in those moments or if you are a preparer. So it's essentially, it's an extended bestiary, but with uh, common NPC types that you'd interact with. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the next big section is ciphers. Uh, so again, ciphers is a big part of the cipher system. Uh, again, I just just now flipped through the book and saw that it mentioned any of those subtle ciphers that you were talking about. Hmm. It includes some additional rules, like there are limits to how many ciphers you can have. I know in Numenera they are like combustible. Like if you get too many, yeah. you can explode. There's act- there's actually a table which determines what happens if you have too many ciphers, and one of them I think is it turns into a robot and tries to kill you, which is <laughs> That's just... my favorite. They just they all Voltron together, and it has. The robot that's trying to kill you has the powers of the ciphers. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I <Yes>. have used that. <laughs> so, so, Jesus, in the cipher section, mm-hmm. is there anything, ad- other than we've already talked about, ciphers are one-use magic items, mm-hmm. they're kind of here and gone, they're more Numenera, at least originally started in Numenera, they fit there very well, other systems maybe not as much, but is there anything else in the cipher chapters other than kind of going over what we've already said, maybe a little bit more detail? Yeah, well, the one thing I noticed is the difference between normal and fantastic uh, ciphers. Normal, they're trying to define normal ciphers as ciphers that you would kind of see in a normal world or like a, say, perhaps a, hist- a modern historical-esque setting, possibly even a horror setting, depending on the situation. And these would be most likely subtle ciphers, but it, like, it also could be like a gun with one bullet, but can just hit the horror monster just right. Or something along those lines. And then Fantastic would be the stuff you would find in Numenera, like the one-shot cipher that could, like we mentioned, stop time or summon a monstrous creature to try to help you for a turn or something along those lines, which did seem pretty interesting. And it sort of reminded me of uh, the beginning of the first book of Numenera when they were trying to figure out, like, still trying to figure out what ciphers can do. Like, they had a, I can't remember off the top of my head, but in the old book, yeah, we're basically, oh, sorry, go ahead. I'm trying to remember what they called the two types of ciphers. I always ignored it. Yeah, yeah, I think everyone did. That's why they changed it. <laughs> where basically they had ciphers that were they determined like some ciphers were too were more powerful than others. The artifacts. So they had ciphers. What artifacts? No, those, these are still ciphers. There were there were still ciphers, but like they at least in there my uh, basically there were ciphers that only that took out one slot and ciphers that took up two slots oh. because for example there was a cipher that was a ray gun it would take one slot but if it could stop time it must be two slots. Well, yes, and. 
but everyone ignored it because everyone wants to shoot have as many time stop ciphers as possible. (laughs) So they eventually said by the by the next book or by the next rule, they just ignore that rule. Like ciphers just because they're one shots. Why not just have them as just regular one shot slot item? And the same. It was hard too when you're like rolling on the table. The table didn't indicate if they are one slot or two slot cipher. So I'd like mm-hmm. hand them out and then be like, "Oh, this is a two slot one, whatever." Mm. Yeah, yeah, true. Or it could be fun if you didn't tell them and then they had too many ciphers and they didn't know it. <laughs> oh that- no, there's a black hole forming. <laughs> issue. I wonder why. <laughs> so looking at the chapters for cipher or the charts, um, I see the manifest ciphers and the subtle ciphers. Does this also include like because I know like in the Numenera book, there's a whole section on random cipher generation and much of charts. Is this also included here or is, or would you need to go to that book? Is this No, uh, they have Yeah, the, they have it there. They have the numbers for you to roll, so it's a D one hundred roll. You just have to pick which kind of uh cipher you want to hand out, I guess. Okay. Yep. And they have the difference they have uh, random rolls for manifest, uh, which are just the more modern day ciphers, fantastic ciphers, and subtle ciphers. Okay. All right, and then the last big section here is running the cipher system. So this is the GMing advice specifically for uh, running this game. Or, and again, I think there's some just good game mastering advice sprinkled in. So I'll start with you on this, Megan. How do you feel about the running the cipher system? You know, you're you're an expert at this system. If someone's picking up this book that isn't like <laughs> me, um, how helpful is this chapter going to be? It's really helpful. Um, it gives a lot of advice on managing things and how to how to push the table and sort of I don't want to say railroad because no one likes railroading but like give everyone a chance to do what they want to do and still move your story forward like I said I love running cypher games it's really freeing I do planning like basic like I want them to do this thing in the game and then I don't prep past that and then it's really easy to just pull out whatever I want to happen. Um, and since I'm not rolling dice during combat, I can focus on other things like uh, what their next move is or strategy much more than I could. And like, um, I struggled with Pathfinder. Pathfinder was a rough game for me to run. We're not mm-hmm. even releasing all of our Pathfinder <laughs> campaign because it just, I wasn't, especially with higher levels, it was just too much for me to keep track of. Like this guy uh, is a warlock and he can cast this type of spell at this level this many times and I just like he can just keep shooting you every other turn with his laser beams. Yeah, I have I have a pet theory that because it's kind of a it's kind of a common joke that you play Dungeons and Dragons but you very rarely actually see dragons. That's because yeah. until fifth edition, maybe in fourth edition, running dragons was hard. <laughs> like those things had like thirty spells levels, and they had the, like seven spells options for every level. So to run a dragon where they actually were impactful and menacing and, and worth the effort, it was it was like basically running a high level wizard that can also breathe fire, mm-hmm. fly, claw attack, and tail whip. It's and someone like me who's not really good at running combats, anyways, I could never run a, a dragon and make it fun for me or them. So I just never had you fight dragons, or they were always babies. You know, it's like wormlings, so they could just be like a monster you fought. Uh, so I think that's kind of similar to what you're saying, Pathfinders. It's just there's so much. If you're good at it and you're really dedicated, you can probably build some amazing encounters. But for novices like me, I think it can be overwhelming and actually a detriment to have so many options. But anyways, I digress. Sorry, I interrupted you. <laughs> uh, Easter, my husband who is blind. 
uh, also really loves running Cypher because he doesn't have to be looking stuff up all the time for stats because he just decides this is a level 4 creature. Uh, he can make any changes he wants mentally and he's not like looking back to special abilities and all kinds of other stuff that is a lot to manage when you're running a combat. Hey, Seuss, anything you would say about the running the software system chapter? Yeah, like Megan said, it gives really good advice, not just uh, about the cipher system, but general advice about do yourself. Like, it emphasizes the f- the point that the cipher system uh, is about just running the narrative, running the game, especially even the comments are just like making stuff up to make things interesting for the player characters. And actually, uh, and it's it's sort of like it's inherently built, especially for the combat for that. And one perfect example of this is that what many people don't know is that, uh, like I said, remember how I mentioned there was a big fight against the evil brother mm-hmm. uh, before? Uh, that was uh, what players listened to was the second version of that fight. The first version, I thought it'd be a great idea to make that evil brother because it's the evil brother sort of story-wise because Numenera, it's weird. The evil brother is sort of like a copy of the player character. It was literally a copy of the player mm-hmm. character. So I thought, and why don't I make him a PC and see if that works out? It didn't. <laughs> it did not. By the end of the game, by the end of that combat, a everyone was frustrated. Everyone was angry. And by and then when the enemy finally died, I, I it ended in five minutes because I needed a beer. But uh, <laughs> and, then and he we died. actually, yeah, no, then he died. But. Uh, but uh, at that point, we ha- I felt like we had to do it. And when we, d- we did it, and I did it like the way Cypher system was built to it, like just some power, some stats, but really just like do yourself, like feel how it unfolds the narrative. It really worked, and it emphasized that fact for me in the rules. All right. Very cool. And then the part five, the, the back matters, you got an index, which are surprisingly helpful uh, mm-hmm. and, and more rare than they should be in books overall. Here's looking at you, Wizards of the Coast. <laughs> a campaign design worksheet and then the character sheets and that actually wraps up the book so uh overall thoughts and feelings jesus what do you think just broad terms we're going to do the individual ratings in a second so this is just high level broad thoughts what do you feel about the cypher system revised rulebook it is very good i as someone who started with numenera right from the beginning and saw the and over time saw the, a lot of the rule changes as they started to like define what each thing did like cut things that didn't work, put in things that worked, like trying to basically streamline it. I like it a lot. And I'm definitely going to implement it. Well, I have to implement it for the new Stars of Fire game I'm, campaign I'm hoping to start at some point in the future, but I like it a lot. Okay. Megan? Um, I really enjoy Cypher System. Uh, there's one thing I wanted to note. Um, if you have older Cypher books um, from the original edition, I don't think they want to call the second edition, <laughs> from the previous edition, I believe in this book, because they did it for Numenera, they have, uh, because those editions refer back to the core book, I give you a page number. They have on the page number, it refers to the page that it's in in this new book. Does that make sense? The way I said it? I think so. So if if you have uh, Gods of the Fall, and it tells you some things on page 139, but now it's on page 142. If you go to page 139, it will say, look at page 142. (laughs) Ah, gotcha. Okay. Uh, Okay. Okay. But yeah, I love it. I feel like it's a game. It's a game I really love running. It's not a game I've played as much, but it's a game I look forward to running any chance I I get to do it. Mm-hmm. All right, very cool. So now we're to the to the end of the uh, the episode. We're going to give our actual ratings and reviews, and we cover uh, four main points, and then we have an overall rating. So we have our design layout, art, 
crunch, which is the rules, fluff, which is the narrative, and then the overall rating. Uh, here at the RPG Academy, we only talk about things we love. So the lowest grade we give anything is a C minus. Uh, but a C minus <laughs> is still a hard pass. This is something that's just not for me, not for you. Uh, and then it goes all the way up to an A plus, which is this is all that matters now. Like everything else, it's like it's like Baby Yoda. <laughs> Nothing else matters at this moment except this thing. <laughs> so I'll start with you, Megan. Design and layout. What would you give the the Cipher System Revised Rulebook uh, a rating on design and layout? I'll give it an A minus. Okay. Uh, I love it. I. I'm going to reference my husband again. I don't particularly like when you use uh, things like with the cipher um, little icons to tell you what things mean because they those aren't always tagged usefully for someone to understand it. Um, that would be one thing I noticed that I have a little bit of a nitpick about. But I really do love their new layout for abilities because it's nice to have everything in one place and everything feels a lot more streamlined. Okay. All right, what about you, uh, Jesus? I have to agree with Megan. It's much more streamlined. I do like to look at A-. minus, And like I said, the the little cipher uh, symbols, it, not always 100%, but overall, just A-. A-. a minus. Okay. Enjoy. So this is, again, just me being completely ignorant. Like, I never even would have thought about uh, accessibility issues, someone being vision, visually impaired and how that doesn't help them as much as it would someone that can see. So originally I would give it an A, uh, yeah, because I just think it's oh, no. it's so well. I'm bringing, I'm bringing but, it down. But no, but that that's <laughs> that's great. I'm I'm so glad you brought that up. So I mean, I'm gonna give it an A minus. It's not like that's bad. Uh, but like <laughs> but being ignorant of that as a consideration from someone who who you know um, is visual, I think their layouts are like top of the line. Um, again, I don't look at every rule book in the world, but I look at almost everything Wizards of the Coast comes out with. I've looked at Fate, uh, Savage Worlds, uh, not really Pathfinder. I'm looking at my shelf over there. Uh, I look at I look at a lot of rule books, and I, I think they are the upper tier in how they lay out their books for usability. I think yeah. they're really good. So easily an A minus. All right, art. So I'll go to Jesus first here. What do you think about the art in the Cipher System rule book? A plus. <laughs> I, I'm a huge, my friends know this, I'm a huge fan of, of like just weird, bizarre art. And this has a ton of it, mainly because it just, it can deal with A, so many genres, but B, a lot of it is because it's rooted in Numenera and the weirdness of the far sci-fi settings. And especially the creature designs are beautiful. Yeah. Like I love the uh, page 345, the new Pepo is like a weird, bizarre, fleshy hand thing. I'm like, oh, this needs to be something that my, my players <laughs> fight against. But yeah, I just, I just, if I could just go through the art, that'd be just, that, I'd be okay with that. All right. Megan, what about you? I will also give an A+. Plus. I find the books to be really gorgeous with the art and the artists that they choose. I like that I feel like they make a pointed effort to make sure any characters that they show up are really diverse. Uh, so there's, there's always women or people of color or, uh, Occasionally people with disabilities, which you don't see very often, um, or people who aren't just like skinny and muscly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so it's really great seeing that. And it's something that I know that they, they're doing on purpose and really making an effort towards. Yeah, I actually, I would also I'm gonna give it an A+. Um, like I said, I back a lot of their Kickstarters, even though I don't really play a lot of their games. I think their uh, their aesthetic is top of the line. I love... 
their art's always just so evocative. Like when you, you just flip through the book and you just like, I don't know what this is yet, but that I want to put that in the game. Just like Jesus was saying with that, that thing on 345. I don't know what that is, but it's something I, <laughs> I want to put into a game. Um, also, there's just a ton of art uh, compared to some of the other books we've reviewed recently. There's almost art just about every page. Like I'm just flipping through and it's literally not every page, but it's really close to every page there being art. Uh, in some cases it's quarter panels or it's just like a NPC. In other pages it's half and full pages. Uh, but the art is incredible. Uh, this is a book that even if you have no idea what the cipher system is, if you just flip through, you're going to be inspired by the art. I think it's amazing. Mm-hmm. All right, crunch. So we'll go back. Um, I'll give it an A. Um, I don't like really crunchy games like Pathfinder. Um, and this still is a bit more crunchy in that you have to do a lot of three time table <laughs> stuff. But uh, it's really easy to wing the stuff that you don't want to look up or think about too much. And so it's the right balance for me in terms of rules versus um, do whatever you want. All right. So, Jesus. Same thing. I'm also going to give it an A. And like Megan said, it's uh, it just the rule system itself allows me to just, like I said, put things on the fly and really just stat together monsters fairly easy, fairly quickly. It's not, the only reason I'm not going to give it an A plus is just for at least for a lot of players it, and a lot of GMs, it'll just it's it's hard to get into mentally. But once it clicks, it's just it's beautiful. Um, as I said before, there's just something about this system that just doesn't it doesn't mm-hmm. click for me. Maybe it's just not enough exposure. Uh, but I'm going to give it a B minus. Like it's pretty cool. But it's just, I don't know, it just isn't for me, but I love everything else around it. Uh, so I, de- I have definitely stolen things from Cypher and from Numenera I've put into D&D games. All right, Fluff. So I'll, I'll start this one just to say I wanted the Fluff an A uh, because, you know, again, Numenera, I actually I love the Numenera book. I think it's beautiful, and I love that setting. This is the sort of generic version, but I think they've done, from what I saw in all the different genres, they've really helped you create a genre game. If you want to run it, whatever genre they, they're going to give you the tools. And I think it's more than just, you know, like, you know, just a little bit of flavor, a lot of thought and element design element went into how do you make this type of game feel this way using the rules we've already presented. So I think the fluff is an A. Jesus. Fluff is also an A in my opinion. Uh, basically mainly because like you said, just A for just for the genre section, like they go in depth of how to make it work for each particular type of particular genre. And like really doing a ton of text, like I said, it was like what forty, fifty something pages for the genre section. And yeah. That's amazing to me that they will go into such detail for each particular genre specifically. All right, Megan, uh, I'll give it an E minus. Uh, this book is a lot lighter on fluff, mostly because it is like letting you build out all the fluff, but they give you a really strong foundation to build out all of that fluff. Um, into whatever you want it to be and a lot of guidance on making it your own. Uh, I, I am not a huge fan of like having to keep buying supplemental books to like get that fluff, um, like Stars Are Fire with the extra rules and the setting. But I don't really mind it too much because it um, it means you have the, the flexibility and like this core book can't get that much bigger. Like you can't fit much more <laughs> into here. Um, but I think the fluff is is about what I expect for a um, for a generic book, and maybe a little more. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So then, our final ratings. I'll start with you, Megan. Overall, 
where would this book fall? Obviously, very complimentary. Like all your ratings were high. <laughs> uh, so, so if you came up with a D minus, I'd be shocked here. But, but what is your <laughs> overall rating? Uh, I'm going to give it an E minus. Um, I love Cypher. I think it's great. I'm really looking forward to trying this out and like building some stuff out on my own. It, my main detraction would be that I, I still have a harder time fitting ciphers into systems outside of Numenera, which they, they have some interesting ideas and I think it would work really well in like the fantasy where you have potions or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, but it, it's a little harder of a reach for me for that. But I, uh, you can just run a game without ciphers, which I've done. <laughs> mm -hmm. All right. And Jesus. Apparently, Megan, we're of the same mind, like <laughs> A minus because, like I said, I love the system. I'm, I'm willing to play a hundred different, run a hundred different games of the system, but I, part of me feels like it should have been called the Foci system and just focused on 100% because that is, at least in my opinion, like the best part of this particular game. Like ciphers are great. I love them in Numenera and if they were gone, Numenera would never be the same. Mm -hmm. But like trying to fit into certain settings, forcing it, I don't know. But otherwise, I love it. I, I will say, I think Cypher System is a better name. Oh, it's a better name. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But, but at the same time, but I, <laughs> as, as an old school nerd who in fourth grade bought a book on how to make ciphers and, and wrote coded messages to my friends, <laughs> I, every time I think Cypher System, I always think, is this is a coded message? Like, So <laughs> it's a good name, but it still doesn't fit. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I would say overall, I actually would give it a B plus. I don't play the game, but I love this book. I'm so glad I have it. Even if I never play Cypher again, it's something that I like having on my shelf. It's fun to look through. It's very pretty. The GMing section works even if you don't run Cypher. The genre sections are helpful even if you don't run Cypher. I think it's full of information that is worth having. So even as someone who, who may never play this game again, I still would encourage anyone to go out and buy it. Uh, it is a hefty price. It's $70 in print uh, off the Money Cook website. But again, it's 450 pages, which is heftier than a lot of other books that are in the $50 range. And they do have the PDF section or the PDF version, which is only $22.99. And I think Money mm -hmm. Cook occasionally they do sales and that kind of such. So uh, if you can't, you know, again, 70 bucks is nothing to sneeze at. So if you can't drop 70 bucks on a book that you may, may or may not ever use, I understand. If you're interested in Cypher, highly encourage you to get it and if nothing else get the pdf and then you'll probably end up buying the book because you're going to look yeah. at it and go i wish i had this in my hands mm -hmm. all right thank you both so very much for joining me tonight we went a little longer than i thought but not as long as i feared <laughs> so i will count that as a win uh so i'll megan i'll start with you again any final words yeah i i love safer i love numenera i will talk to you about it as much as you want on twitter just <laughs> At me or at Amber Clave, which is uh, our uh, Numenera-focused show. Uh, you can also find TRF with hopefully everything else we're doing at theredactedfiles.com or at TRF Podcast on Twitter. Or you can find me at Curium247. I guess I do have a website, which is megantolentino.com, which has links to everything I do or have written um, that I think I need to update, but we'll get there. And yeah, if you... If you want to talk about Cypher, I would love to talk to you about it. So find me. All right, fantastic. Not in person, though. That'd be <laughs> weird, but... Unless, you're, unless they... you're at a convention or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, find me at a convention. I'd love that. All right, fantastic. <laughs> and then Jesus. 
Okay. Uh, you can find me personally at our at our Vondis, but you can also check out the Fanable website at fanable.com where we just post a ton of different games. We also uh, recently started up an itch page where we post the various games we usually post on our games or setting uh, notes we post on the website. We are starting to sell as well. And we just have a bunch of stuff you might be interested in. And yeah, if you ever want to message me or message anybody, uh, mess me on on the Twitters at Arvandis, or you want to just just meet me at a convention, and if you come to my house, it will be weird. <laughs> uh, but you know what? Uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if they do come to your house, hopefully it's to play a game. Like that's like the most innocent, innocuous thing that could happen, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. We'll go with that. <laughs> All right. Fantastic. And it's for myself, obviously, Michael here at the RPG Academy. You can find everything I do at the RPG Academy. Any social media that you search RPG Academy, if it comes up, it's probably me. I'm most active on Twitter and, and Facebook. Catacon, uh, only a month or two in the rearview mirror, but we're already looking forward to next year. Uh, working on the Kickstarter today, actually. Uh, so that's always fun. Uh, and then thank you for joining us for this review. I hope it has been helpful to someone maybe out there who was thinking about getting into Cypher or had questions. So hopefully we've answered some of them and given you more questions for you to go out and research on your own. Uh, and we're always looking for more things to review. So if you have a game yourself or if there's just a game that you love that you'd like to hear us talk about on a review, please let us know and we'll put it in our list of things to talk about in the future. So with that, we're going to say bye-bye and give a little awkward wave out to no one because no one's watching. Awkward wave! <laughs> Woo! Ah, papa. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize. But there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy, or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook, or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can, and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. The music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.